Welcome to a new series of Forward, a podcast from Brock University's Faculty of Humanities. I'm your host, Alison Innes. If you've been a regular listener to Forward, you'll know that we introduce you to humanities researchers here at Brock University. And while our past series have focused on professors, this series we want to introduce you to some of the research being done by our graduate students. Our faculty offers six MA programs in Classics, English, Game Studies, History, Philosophy, and Studies in Comparative Literatures and Arts. We also have a PhD program in Interdisciplinary Humanities, and you can find out more about any of those programs by following the link in the credits. This series, we'll be hearing from MA students in Classics, English, and History, as well as a PhD student in Interdisciplinary Humanities. They'll be telling us about their research and about their grad student experience and passing on tips for future grad students. So stay tuned for today's conversation with our first featured guest, Shaquille Ahmed, from the MA program in Classics. guest is Shaquille Ahmed. Shaquille is in the second year of the MA program in the Department of Classics and Archaeology. Shaquille's research examines the existence of a homosexual subculture in classical Athens that gives us a glimpse of a social phenomena creating a homosexual identity for a minority group and the role of subaltern groups in this process. We're going to unpack what that means in a minute. So welcome Shaquille. Thank you very much, Alison, and, and uh, thank you for uh, also, actually, I wanted to say that you're doing a great service uh, by allowing your social media, uh, the guide student like us, to promote our research and reaching out to the broader audience. So, thank Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. I love to hear about people's research. I live vicariously through it. <laughs> <laughs> So I was wondering if starting out, if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into classics. Okay. Uh, so actually, I, I started off um, uh, with a bilingual degree in international studies uh, on your London campus. But I found uh, the topic was not really as uh, challenging as, as I anticipated. So... Uh, in one of my uh, elective uh, in political philosophy, uh, I got introduced to Plato's Republic and the work of uh, Herodotus, the so-called father of the historian book histories. So that kind of, you know, got me thinking about uh, this very uh, a new area uh, that I found very appealing. So I decided to get in touch with uh, a couple of uh, faculty of classics uh, York, um, Jeremy Trevitt and Jonathan Edmondson, uh, both are renowned scholars in their fields. Uh, so I had a detailed conversation with them, talked through it, think throughout with them. And then I decided to switch to classics from international studies. So doing some uh, summer courses and, and trying to catch up, uh, you know, uh, in my third year, actually, uh, I found very inspirational that when a lecturer in early Greek history 
was openly talking about uh, homosexual relationship in ancient Greece. So um, as a person, I identify myself um, as openly gay uh, person, but at the time, 2015, you know, 2016, so it was also a time for me to come into terms with my own, my own sexuality. So now in a classroom and our lecture was uh, informing us about, you know, this, this, this ancient homosexual behavior. So it kind of um, opened up a new path for me to get involved in a serious, in a serious, serious research um, about uh, homosexual homosexuality in the ancient world, and perhaps I thought that I would discover more about myself and reclaim a sense of belonging. You know that I was so sorely missing at that point. So, so that's you know that's how I actually got to classics. So it came from a very personal interest in in the, yeah, in the ancient true. world. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you decide that you wanted to go on and do a master's after your after your undergraduate degree? Yes. So I think it was a long process. Uh, so again, you know, taking all these courses uh, in Greek language, in Latin, um, it just I, I just felt like that the uh, the rich literature, a classic literature, uh, was so appealing that the three years and the four years were not enough. Uh, to you know, to to amass, you know that the richness uh, of the culture, of values, um, and understanding that how that culture still influences our modern world today in many areas, as we all know, you know. So uh, and also I, you know, uh, I was thinking that that perhaps you know, uh, going into MA, I will see if I did have a serious you know, inclination for a research degree or a, or a research project. Uh, but at that time, I wasn't serious about researching on the issue of, of uh, homosexuality, but, but the idea was that I wanted to, to, uh, to gain the deeper knowledge uh, of, the, uh, of the classical world and also to understand if I have what it takes to be a serious research scholar. Now, you did mention Herodotus. Um, were there particular works um, that you read that really grabbed your imagination and your, your interest? Yes. So I you know, I have to say that uh, after reading Herodotus, uh, then so basically uh, it leads you to, the, to Homer, the Iliad. And, uh, you know, the, uh, so the type of, I think, I realized the ideas and the theme of this ancient poet. He, he, he discusses it. The complexity of life that he reveals. It really, uh, for a person coming new in, you know, into this type of literature, it, it, it comes as a shock at how old and how, how, how long humanity is, is still you know, is struggling to understand its place in this huge cosmos, right? And, 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 and all the challenges uh, that the human condition imposes upon, uh, upon us. So I think those are the things really uh, I find compelling, um, the early, early uh, the Greek poetry and uh, the discourse uh, in Plato's 
you know, about uh, what is to be uh, a respectable member of a community. So all these thoughts basically, you know, kind of, kind of fed into my, uh, into my thirst for uh, learning more about uh, this culture, the languages, uh, where it comes from, and what, you know, how they manage to um, resolve, you know, the, the, the issues uh, of um, uh, uh, social values, you know, how to resolve uh, conflicts in a community. So, uh, so, so I think that those were the, you know, initial process going on in my head at the time. Yeah, it's it's interesting hearing hearing kind of how you it sounds like almost accidentally got into classics that you you didn't set out planning planning to do classics. Yeah, absolutely, it wasn't you know uh, I think it was just a love at first sight as they say. So your research topic for your MA and it's a two year MA program here at Brock for classics. Um, are you doing a thesis or an MRP? Uh, it's an MRP. So there's the two options that that grad students have um, between between a thesis and, a, and an MRP, just um, slightly different um, flow through the program. But um, your research topic is looking at the social phenomena creating a homosexual identity for a minority group and the role of subaltern groups in this process. So I was wondering if you could kind of unpack that sentence for us a little bit and and give okay. give us an idea of of kind of what that means. Okay, I'll try my best. So, you know, so basically, uh, you know, first of all, when we think about ancient homosexuality, there's there's such a it's a huge mysterious veil, uh, you know, for anyone who first hears about uh, Greek homosexual practices is that that it was mainly pederastic, uh, you know, uh, association between two, uh, uh, two male, one adult citizen and one a younger uh, <clears throat> Athenian citizen. Well, not quite citizens, but coming from the, uh, you know, from the citizen body. So I, you know, I always thought it was a very narrow um, understanding or idea uh, of Greek homosexuality, but it seemed to have a very strong grip, uh, you know, over entire Western, um, you know, scholarship, even media, that, that, that this was the standard and perhaps the only uh, form of homosexuality that existed um, in the Greek world. So, um, but when I look at the um, uh, primary sources that talks about not just the discourse that what a ideal homosexual relationship should be, but uh, primary sources do, that talk about people involved, uh, you know, living homosexual in, in, in a homosexual relationship, then we discover that the, the, uh, the it was not so so rigid, this, 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 uh, you know, this homosexual relationship model uh, was not as fixed as that. We find that um, Athenian citizens falling in love with uh, people outside of Athens 
falling in love with people who were formerly enslaved or still enslaved. So that kind of that that throws you know that makes uh, the the a depiction of homosexuality a very complex one, and is often overlooked. I myself coming from a um, um, ethnic minority and sexual minority, so I, I guess I was more uh, attuned to and, and, and was more aware of these um, differences and, and uh, complexity in Greek relationships. So I thought perhaps this is the area that needs further development. It's not that I'm not the first person who pointing these things out, you know, uh, my certain ideas uh, are built upon the scholars who, you know, who have been challenging uh, these ideas uh, since uh, Dover, uh, this great British scholar who first actually broached uh, the subject of homosexuality um, in an academic um, uh, environment. And his ideas were picked up by uh, the French philosopher Foucault. Uh, so, and then those ideas were well received but not uh, without uh, uh, criticism from those who just like me thought that it was a very narrow, very uh, reductionist approach to Greek homosexuality. So I get these ideas from these scholars and I focus on the role of those outsiders who are not, who did not enjoy a full citizen status in Athens. So I call these people, these marginalized group, these are marginalized politically, socially, and perhaps culturally too. So, um, but they are, they come from various background and they fit in the spectrum of, uh, of uh, uh, social status. Um, so I use a umbrella term, subaltern, to include these people who are either not fully citizen yet, uh, who are uh, enslaved men, women, formerly enslaved, although they are free, but the freedom did not entitle them uh, to participate in any uh, political uh, and mainstream culture process of the city, right? So, but then we see uh, this evidence in our primary sources where it appears that they participating in reshaping, challenging the elitist uh, idea of what an idea of homosexual relationship should be, right? So, um, so um, I'm interested more about about your sources because we are talking about marginalized groups and not everything that was written in the ancient world has made it down to us today. Um, so how do you, and, and what we do have tends to be written by a certain type of person, group of person, uh, you know, in terms of, of their literacy skills yeah. and, and their status and that kind of thing. So what kinds of sources do we have for these minority groups and how, how do you, how do you find them? Right. So, I mean, you know, that's the biggest challenge, uh, but, uh, uh, so when I started this um, uh, this research, uh, I was uh, actually I came into the into this research from uh, from my slavery courses. 
uh, course uh, uh, with Dr. Um, Alison Glazebrook. So uh, now enslaved people did not leave the account of their lived experiences in the society based on slavery for us to understand, you know, their experiences. Uh, neither did a female, uh, you know, uh, Athenian citizens, they did not leave, you know, much for us to, uh, to understand, you know, their social, their cultural life. So, but there has to be a way, there has to be a way to reconstruct uh, their lived experiences. So, um, uh, some great feminist scholars actually uh, became the inspiration uh, for me, who, uh, like Amy, Amy Richland, uh, uh, so they, they, they argue that by focusing in the primary sources, this elite, elite male citizens narrative, the expressions of, of resistance, the, uh, the, by, by turning the disapproved uh, uh, expressions into mode of resistance. This is how we can re reconstruct or reclaim uh, some space for those muted voices. Uh, so what we have, for example, I am uh, currently working uh, with an Athenian law called a speech, um, which was written uh, for, for an Athenian, uh, a defendant uh, whose name we don't know. Uh, so by Athenian lawyer, uh, Lysias, I mean, he wasn't Athenian citizen. He was a resident, but he was a very clever man. Uh, so he, and uh, he used to write defense speeches for his client. So one of his clients, is accused uh, of um, cheating a fellow Athenian um, of his boyfriend contract, if you know, if you, if you understand the meanings. Uh, so through the speaker's account of what transpired in, in this love triangle, we get to see that he talks about the, the young man who is, you know, born of contention between two Athenian citizens, that he's not Athenian. You know, we can't be, we, we can't say for sure whether he was, he was enslaved. Perhaps he was not enslaved. Uh, perhaps he came from outside. Uh, perhaps uh, when uh, Athens uh, um, took over, attacked his city, uh, so he came in came into the city with his family at that time, perhaps. And, uh, but, but we don't know. What we know is that, uh, that this young man, Tamaha, got involved with these two uh, Athenian citizens at, at, at different stages of their life. And both of them, you know, uh, felt hook, line, and sinker. But it, then again, you know, it's, it's not uh, it's what we, what we see is that uh, a participation of an outsider, of a, of, of a marginalized uh, person, uh, we can say, uh, is manipulating, 
perhaps, you know, to his advantage. Um, and, and also manipulating, manipulating the, you know, the, the mode of desire. You know, that's also a very major concern um, in, this, uh, in this speech that he's making. So we, ha we still have, I mean, we have to make sense. We have to reconstruct the narrative uh, for those whose voices and participation in our primary sources is skewed because of the bias in the, in the narrative. But there is a genuine possibility, you know, to focus on those uh, disapproved uh, expressions, uh, uh, disapproved behavior, and uh, uh, most of resistance, you know, to, to, to highlight their role uh, in actively shaping normatives uh, around gender-based sexuality, uh, you know, in classical Athens. So what are you, what are you finding in your research? Like, are, 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 you, are you looking more broadly at attitudes um, as they're expressed, or are you um, trying to reconstruct and focus more on the individuals? Right. Um, actually, you know, I'm, so there's a two-prong strategy uh, that I'm working, and I think it's, it's leading me to, uh, there's a two uh, possible uh, venues, but I think they have, they interact with each other. So, A, is that I'm finding that not all homosexual relationships in classical Athens involved a pederastic model, meaning that no um, educational uh, aspect was involved, no, uh, that there was the, you know, the kind of you know, hallmark of Athenian pederastry that an older male was supposed to guide a younger uh, male who is not uh, of the age of a citizen just yet into the world of the adult people. So, but that's not true in all cases. For example, this uh, particular uh, incident involving two Athenian male with this, uh, with this young man, there is no educational uh, feature in their relationship. So when we discover this non-pederastic uh, model of homosexual relationship, we discover the complexity in, uh, in these relationships. And also, we find that these people have, there has to be a cultural locus for these characters, for these actors to get involved with each other. So on this basis, then I think that that, that, that cultural locus is a subculture because not all of the Athenian uh, partake in that cultural the process. In fact, there is a possibility that uh, that not all Athenians look favorably to you know to these ideas that um, adult citizens uh, who should ought to be married, settle down, have a wife and kids, should be involved 
uh, in these, uh, you know, same-sex relationship, you know, living a bachelor life, so, so to speak. So these things are happening off the radar, uh, you know, off the, the mainstream culture. So, um, so following, again, you know, uh, I have to go outside my discipline uh, to find a, a, a methodology that could uh, decipher, that could tell me that what these markers mean. So, for example, uh, I use a, uh, a British uh, a sociologist study of uh, Dick Hebdige, uh, who argues that if a minority group uh, puts up an act by means of uh, distinct uh, lifestyle appearances, gesture, you know, uh, any expression that goes against the grain of society, these are the marks of a subculture, right? So I think, you know, that's, that's no one, you know, um, has really uh, kind of thought about uh, these relationships and how this, these, in what circumstances these relationships are formed. And, and then, and, and then, and then, uh, so because no one has thought about using or importing a uh, methodology which is outside the discipline of classics. But if the markers are there, if the indications are there, so then we just need a tool. And, 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 and I think it's, uh, it's legitimate, uh, you know, to, 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 to ask or seek uh, for a tool outside a discipline. Uh, so, so that's what I'm, I'm doing. And so, the, so those are the things which I'm hoping that will, we will um, illuminate, you know, this, this, this lived identity, lived experiences and, and, and real life situation. I mean, of course, you know, we will never be in the present sure, but we can get a glimpse, you know, of what is of what it was like, you know, uh, for two men, you know, to be in a same sex, enduring same sex relationship, not just like you know one night stand, or you know what have you. Uh, so, so these are you know the ideas uh, which are not as 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 uh, as well developed uh, in current scholarship concerning homosexuality, gender identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you you brought up the idea of a male citizen in ancient Athens and this expectation that they would marry and have and have children. So um, I guess I've got a couple of questions here, and I don't know if you have an answer for them or not. Um, it's okay if you haven't gotten that far in your research, but I'm curious, like, are men in homosexual relationships are those relationships in addition to having a marriage and having children, like fulfilling those cultural expectations? Or are these, do we know if these people who are choosing the long-term homosexual relationship over marriage and the, and the expectations of what, a, of what a citizen should, uh, should be doing? Right. No, I think, you know, I'll try it. I think, I, I think I, I, I do have, you know, some answers, some ideas to, because you know these are these are the issues I'm uh, I'm discussing and and dealing with. So uh, as it happens, uh, like we have evidence within this um, law 
called speech that is the focus of my research, that the defendant is unmarried. In fact, he, 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 is, he is, you know, he's, he's definitely in his 40s. So, and that's quite a late mark, uh, you know, age mark um, for an Afghan citizen uh, to be living, to be uh, lead, um, leading a bachelor life. We also know that he lived, he, he uh, commands a household where he is the only male in the household. So that's also an, 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 you know, an, an interesting aspect. And also it, it reveals the complexity uh, of, of life that is not depicted in, say, for example, in the in, you know, high plot in discourse of, of Plato and, uh, and Socrates. So most of the discussion on homosexuality based on those elite depiction uh, you know, of, of an ideal homosexual relationship. But there is the ideal discourse is one thing. But what really happened? You know, what, what about the real people mm -hmm. who inhabited the time and endured those experiences? So, so there we have this 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 this, this complex picture of uh, say you know one man definitely not married. He is the the uh, the only male member in his household. He lived with his sisters and uh, with his nieces. So it, it appeared, appears that sister got married, her husband died or divorced. Now she's back living with her brother. And he's also, she's also got uh, her kids, her girls. So, so that's the situation. And now he, he and he is in this relationship for at least four years. Because the trial, this uh, Simon, who is his uh, accuser, prosecutor he brings the case four years after whatever happened you know so we know and and we know also from from our sources uh, we have the evidence that um, that the young man is in mid-20s for sure is now as he speaks as he addresses the court as he as, as he defends you know uh, his, his, his case the young man is sitting with him because on three to five occasions, he talks about we. So basically, he, he, he's including in his defense this outsider, this marginalized person uh, who is not um, an opinion citizen, so who, who, who doesn't have the full, uh, who basically, who doesn't have many rights, <laughs> you know, um, uh, in a very, uh, in a society that's very uh, uh, nativist. That's the right word, you know, very kind of xenophobic in a sense that they jealously guards a citizen's right, you know. So, but he is this man facing at least a jury of 200 men. At least, you know, we speculate, scholars speculate they could be larger than that, uh, this, this, this uh, trial that he is, uh, he's facing. So, he addresses that so that's takes you know it's it's of course he is manipulating the, the jury you know for his advantage but at the same time you know we need to uh, focus on this idea that what he he is is projecting to the wider opinion audience is 
not an ordinary thing a uh, mature man to be in a long-term relationship uh, not married uh, not having children so that's 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 really uh, extraordinary phenomena um, so it's there is there is he is pushing against you know our speaker is pushing against this this uh, social narrative that expect an Athenian male to be married and to have kids okay but he is resisting so 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 there is you know so again like I said you know the feminist theory and the queer theory you know they give us this tool uh, this approach is to focus on those resistance expression of resistance and to exploit the tension that uh, what's established norms like the tension between the established norm and these uh, minority incidents these 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 uh, abnormal you know manifestations where through their their, their actions their activities in the cities they uh, are showing a counter narrative to the ideals so is is there a sense at all that this man who is a citizen that he because of being in a long-term homosexual relationship that he has had negative repercussions his standing as a as a citizen or 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 how he's viewed i think this is, this is a very uh, you know very important question and it's a very valid one too uh, because uh, there's definitely in the fourth century uh, there is the so many political and social development uh, had taken place in Athens that uh, to be a single person and uh, not a an Athenian citizen is expected to be married and to have kids and to participate to, in the community, right? And if and if they didn't, then we learn of the laws that would would not allow that person to actively participate in the community. So we learn of these uh, discriminatory laws through the through the speakers, you know, uh, defending their trial or or prosecuting a uh, some fellow Athenian citizens. So there there were it appears there were laws in place you know that would we don't have an evidence we don't have evidence if anybody got was subjected to or uh, discriminated uh, with the exception of one incident uh, widely discussed so but the, the gist is yes there were there were uh, laws in place uh, against persistent homosexual behavior but you know I, I would I would also advise people to not to you know imagine those laws as as you know let's say 20th century very clear anti-homosexual laws that uh, the student of history now learn were uh, in the books until 60s and 70s in the UK and um, in, in the US perhaps you know even later and you know to be accused of homosexual yes you 
I mean, a homosexual in a way that violated, you know, the, the conditions. Yeah, like mentioned, for example, that you know that uh, the, if you were not educating your beloved, you know, and if you are in the age bracket that you, should, you ought to be married and settle down, then that you know would draw that would draw frown from from fellow citizens. So these things are yes, and and our speaker is fully aware of those things that appears, but. Law, having a law is one thing, and then uh, because Athenian legal system was such that a lot depends on the speaker's ability, you know, to influence the jury by the, by the force of his intellectual, uh, you know, um, uh, capacity. So, yes, there were laws, yes, there were constraints placed on uh, these individuals, but it did not stop them. And when we're talking about Athenian law courts, they function differently from what we are familiar with, right? Like you don't have state bringing cases against people. It's citizens against bringing cases against other citizens, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, uh, I think the best way is to, uh, to understand is to see what Athenian legal court uh, system was not you know, as compared to ours. Like, for example, no judge in an Athenian court of law, there's no judge. So you have a jury constituted of your fellow citizens. No one to give the jury the skilled and objective guidance. So you speak on your behalf if somebody, a citizen, bring a charge or graphe, a public suit against you. So you ought to, you have to defend yourself. But like I said early on, there were uh, professional, educated authors. Laws are there in the books. We know there were laws because you know they are mentioned, they are referred to all the time. But what matters at the end of the day is that how an orator uh, influences the jury, you know, by force of his speech. So no, uh, no one to, to to give jury skilled and objective guidance and no one to rule evidence inadmissible, and no one in the jury would say if the speaker digresses from his narrative, as long as he uh, implicates his prosecutor, you know, or the opposing party. So in these, but, but there is a sense, you know, like we need to understand that, that there is a sense of a, of a just trial uh, in the Athenian legal system, they have the laws in place, they have a system, you bring a charge, then a jury has to be convened, people get paid to be part of the jury. Uh, there were also, uh, for example, this case is about wounding with intention. So the term the Greek uses was uh, trauma, as we say trauma, trauma ek pronoia. So basically, I harmed you because I wanted to, you know, I intended to. So this was a serious crime. So this, you know, so if someone would, like Simon, he is alleging that the defendant uh, attacked him with the intention of killing him. And that's a very, very, very serious crime. And we know it's serious because 
uh, this trial is taking place before a grand jury, as you know, if you could say that. So it's about 200, 300 people uh, on the hill of uh, Arapagos in Athens. So that's the seriousness of the crime. So if he could not, the speaker could not convince the jury, he would, he would be facing the, the uh, consequences of being exiled. Yeah. So, so in jury would decide on the guilt or uh, innocence, and jury would also give the punishment. Yeah. Uh, but they see this that you are being tried by your fellow citizens. They thought that you were given uh, a choice, you know, uh, opportunity to defend yourself uh, and tried by your peers. So they this. For them, this was a basically, you know, in bare bone, bone Athenian legal system. So, and that's what we have. We see the functioning, you know, in real life, uh, and all these um, weaknesses and strength, and how a defendant or prosecutor, you know, uh, manipulating those weaknesses and strength to their advantage. So, so coming back to our earlier discussion about the challenges of working with with the ancient sources, we're not only dealing with sources that are are written and presented by a certain group of people, they're also written in a way that is intended, very much intended to influence how people think about a situation, like they're not a neutral. Yes, yes. Absolutely. I mean, these, you know, these, these speeches are employed with a certain strategy in mind, you know, and that strategy is, strategy is for example, um, in my uh, case, uh, the defendant is accused. So he's doing his, he's, he's, he's using every ploy and every trick in the, in the book, you know, to discredit the claim. Uh, and he also apparently uh, invites witnesses. And be, no, we don't have the witnesses did not survive uh, in our sources, nor did any evidence. If they present any evidence, they survive. They speak survive because they were all interested in the later time uh, as a piece of literature, right? So, um, so yes, absolutely. You know, uh, they were uh, there's a, a lot to uh, on a stake for both the prosecutor because if you if you if you brought a wrong or a false case, then you will face the consequences. And that's the strategy, and that's uh, uh, the dependent um, whole purpose in this case is that to uh, turn the table on Simon and, uh, and to be able to continue with this, which he considers a very serious relationship based on love and desire, that is, that he thinks he, and he is trying to convince the jury that desire of uh, uh, of, of a same-sex partner is deeply rooted, right? So that's another uh, you know uh, point I should I should mention that that I'm also trying to bring out that so much focus uh, attention has been focused uh, in the Greek homosexuality on this um, older male, younger male who's been active in a relationship, who's been passive. So the, the, the whole a great, I think the, the complexity of the relationship that's based on nuanced emotions uh, 
I mean, nuances of emotion and desire, you know, has been overlooked. But here, so I'm trying to recover and, uh, and you know, uh, and use those, uh, those nuances to highlight, A, that, that uh, there, there's a minority group resisting to the masculine culture. That's a great indication of a homosexual identity, homosexual subculture. And the participation of outsiders, the marginalized people, without whom these challenges, challenges to the ideal uh, masculine normative uh, and gender identity would not have been, been mounted in the first place. So you're focusing on this particular speech, Lysias 3. Are there other um, sources, other texts that you're also bringing into your research? Right. So, uh, you know, like I said early on that I built my research and my ideas come from uh, scholars who have been working on the text. Uh, but the, the widest discussed uh, Athenian law, uh, law case is the... Um, in the case of uh, Askenes, uh, now he is an Athenian citizen, you might say lawyer, a state prosecutor. We can, you know, if, if, if that helps the image. He is a prosecuting a fellow citizen, Timarchos, uh, alleging him involving in sexual deviancy, okay, and that's another area that I am thinking to explore in my PhD research that what does it what does that sexual deviancy really mean but anyway so uh, this uh, this uh, Ascanis is trying to get Timarcos off the political life uh, that 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 Timarcos is is uh, is involved in he wants him to to disqualify uh, uh, Ascanis wants to Timarchus to be disqualified uh, for life because of his, you know, of his homosexual li uh, liaison with, with with several partners. So you see, so so there is, you know, so uh, and this idea that uh, that there was no uh, there was no sexual anxiety surrounding homosexual uh, relationships uh, in classical Athens or ancient Greece is also not true. Because the evidences do point, you know, to a certain pressure that, you know, existed around people who pursued, you know, same-sex love. But again, these uh, lived experiences of these people, of this these men, you know, give us a kind of, you know, what uh, a trans uh, history lens would call it as a glimpse of this the uh, the the connection the temporal connection that connects the lived experience of the past with the lived experiences of the of, of the people present today you know whether whether homosexual whether gay um, or transgender so the term queer basic basically covers all so um, it's not that I'm trying to prove that uh, uh, homosexuality existed in classical Athens as it exists, it has, you know, existed in the West for the past hundred years or so. No, 
What I'm trying to highlight is the lived experiences of those uh, individuals uh, who felt pressure, uh, you know, of the society uh, through various forms. Well, it sounds like you have got quite projects that you are working on. You you alluded to your hope for researching more at at a PhD level. Is is that your is is that your plan to to go on from an MA to to study more? Yes, actually, you know, uh, it's it's again, you know, uh, the, during this process of of researching uh, my current project, I realized that there are venues that my MA just uh, uh, MRP scope is not big enough to accommodate. So, so there are some genuine issues that need to be um, dealt with and which, which are not, re- which, which remain unexplored. Uh, but not just that, you know, like I said, these, there's uh, the evidence on gender variant behavior and cultural practices. And again, the, the, this, this uh, homosexual identity, this masculine identity, how masculine identity is part of the sexual identity for the Greeks. You know, this competition, this competition in a community from a majority group to define masculine normative, and also from a minority group, group to define masculine normative. So my MRP is not big enough <laughs> for me to, you know, to, to discuss these issues and, and, to, and, to, and to connect, you know, and to, to take into account the scholarship that exists, you know, and, and uh, uh, in which I fit my work um, to, just to see that, that, there's a, that there's a genuine scope to develop this uh, research in the PhD level and perhaps to include more evidence, not just uh, literary evidence. Uh, I have uh, some some historical case studies that uh, that I think I can also include. Uh, visual evidence, the vast paintings. You know, there's a huge uh, uh, evidence. This this whole corpus of you know vast visual evidence that that exists, uh, and uh, waiting for someone to look at those images and find focus on the resistance you know how those images are conveying the resistance to a mainstream culture i think it's so exciting when when grad students have have those those topics that suddenly um, open up to them a whole a whole further area of of research and uh, when the um, ma research project is, is too small to fit it all in that's that's really exciting and uh well actually you know i just i just, I just wanted to kind of, kind of you know uh, share with you actually a, a personal you know uh kind of uh, factor that that got into in this research and uh-huh. that pushes me also to you know to go on at the phd level uh, uh so i was watching uh this uh mini series on amazon prime uh it's called it's a sin it's a four or five part uh, series uh, sets uh, in the backdrop, in the background of the AIDS crisis in Britain. Uh, and, and it revolves around uh, five or six uh, gay men. Uh, some are openly gay, some are coming up. 
but is their life and their struggle against this rising surge? I mean, the surge of, uh, of, of, of AIDS. So one of the scenes that really hit me and, and that really kind of you know, influenced uh, my research, you know, uh, and feel the passion to continue with the search was that uh, one of the character uh, works in a school and uh, because of this age, there's a lot of homophobia uh, in Britain at that time. The school headmaster uh, asked this gay man to go and clear the school library of any material that speaks of, of homosexual of homosexuality in any context, right? So as you find the next scene opened and find this young man with books strewn all, all over the floor and he's crying and the headmaster comes in. So did you do what I asked you to do? And he said, not one of the books has a homosexual in them. There is no homosexuality. There's, there's, he said, there's no history of queer people. So, you know, so I, you know, it really hit me hard that, you know, that uh, why there is no queer history. It can't be that, that all of a sudden, uh, um, in the aftermath of the industrial, industrialized, industrial, industrial revolution, uh, homosexual people emerged as an aftermath in the wake of industrial revolution. That's the whole essence of this Foucauldian approach, you know. No, it's not history does not work like that you know this uh, you know like 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 I said this 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 temporal nexus exists throughout the time so we need to pinpoint pinpoint those experiences and then historicize uh, the experiences of the marginalized group and community and record their resistance to the mainstream culture that that is very very important um and one of the things i've i've been kind of thinking on as as we've been talking to is like you know listeners will will know that i also studied classics and uh you get people saying but don't we know everything already and it's no there's new perspectives and new new areas to look at that we're 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 finding all the time i think also what is important Alison, is is it is that you know uh, i think there is there is an urgency this serious urgency in in uh, or has to be in the in uh, classical discipline is that there's a great potential for a scholarship that interacts with modern problems that does not shy away from engaging with the issue of race with the issue of uh, you know uh, homophobia and misogynism and and all those sort of you know uh, biases which still feed the narrative in our society so so, so there's a, a serious scope in in classics that that engages uh by this research informing our modern discourse you know um, on our modern problems very well put i don't think i can add anything anything to that you put it so well just before we finish up um, and I want to thank you for sharing so generously about your research today. In this series, focusing on grad students, um, I do want to ask, ask grad students a little bit about their experiences. You mentioned you're, you're working with Dr. Alison Glazebrook, and 
I'm just wondering if you want to share any information for folks who might be considering grad school about what it's like working with a supervisor and a committee and, and working on a really big research project like this. I think I call myself very fortunate to be working with a supervisor whose work is related to my to my research, whose work is contributing to my current research and will contribute to my research uh, in the future. So it's it's uh, I feel myself that Brock, uh, this is a very you know fortunate to be, to be very fortunate. I mean, and I also say in terms of my experiences that uh, we come in into our first year, we, we have an idea of a project. And then, yes, you know, it's not fully, the idea is not fully developed, but we should not be afraid uh, at this initial stage to explore, keep our mind open about what's going on, perhaps other things that are happening around us that could spark, you know, a, a new path. Don't be shy to engage with these people and, you know, talk things through with them. So I did not get into this uh, topic right away. I changed, like I said, you know, things came up and I got influenced by uh, this series. And then I talked to my director uh, for postgraduate studies and, and then he uh, guided me to, uh, um, to, to, to Alison Glazebrook uh, to talk to her uh, discuss your ideas uh, and feel free again you know this this uh, take a pigeon advantage of the splendid faculty of classics that we have here and the expertise you know in in so broad a range of areas uh, here at Brock that talk things through and perhaps you are not seeing something that is there but it just needs someone to light to to, to illuminate uh, that venue for you so uh, so all I would say that, you know, keep your mind uh, open on other possibilities, contact, talk, you know, talk a lot. So, so stay in touch and uh, these things out. I think, you know, in my experiences, they never get my supervisors and my instructors never get tired of me approaching them, teasing out things with them and experimenting ideas with them, you know. And and no matter how how radical you think your idea is, you know, you should try it. I you know I it was a and I was absolutely you know I was I was I was daunted. I was I felt that I had no chance uh, standing up to such established Foucauldian school, you know, uh, and come up with the idea that challenges those established uh, ideas within the within the discipline of classics concerning your homosexuality. But you'd be surprised that, you know, uh, by the support uh, your radical ideas could get. <laughs> I hope that this, this would encourage students to think about the research. I think that's excellent advice. I, I know when I was going through the process myself, I talked to many other grad students and, and uh, almost everyone I think I talked to kind of came to grad school thinking, one thing, but then through the course of their of their courses and conversations, kind of wound up going sometimes in radically different directions um, in terms of their research projects. So that openness and and those conversations are so important. Yes. So when you are at your initial stage of researching 
the primary sources and and finding out uh, this, the uh, the relevant scholarship, things will not become clear at that point. So don't be you know don't be frightened or don't be uh, disappointed or you know depressed. <laughs> you know no things will become clear eventually. Well, we are out of time. I could certainly chat with you for longer, but we are out of time for today. Um, so I would like to thank our listeners for joining us. And of course, thank you, Shafil, for sharing your research project with you. And I look forward to hearing more from you at some point in the future of where you go with this uh, really exciting project. Like I said, once again, thank you very much, Alison, for giving me this opportunity to uh, speak about my research uh, and my experiences here in Brock. Thank you for listening to Forward. Find our footnotes, links to more information, transcripts, and past episodes on our website, brockyou.ca/humanities. Forward is hosted and produced by Allison Innes for the Faculty of Humanities at Brock University. Sound assistance for this episode is provided by Mitch Kogan. Theme music is by Khalid Imam. This podcast is financially supported by the Faculty of Humanities at Brock University.